Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible study tonight. Thank you for taking the time to be here as we study our way through the book of Acts. We're studying our way through it because we want to relive it. And more and more, I'm convinced that we actually are reliving the book of Acts. We are going to study through chapter 22 tonight, but I want to go back to chapter 5 for a moment. I want to start there. And I want to read a passage of scripture because it's going to um, it's going to be a parallel scripture to something that we read in Acts chapter 22. And so we'll start there because I mean Acts chapter five was a long time ago in our study, and so it's nice to go back and just refresh ourselves in what we've learned in previous weeks. So Acts chapter five. And I don't want to read the whole chapter. We don't need to. Mm-hmm. Now let's start at verse 17. Chapter 5, verse 17. And there's no comments to make. I just want to read the story. Acts chapter 5, verse 17. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him... And they were filled with jealousy, and they arrested the apostles and put them into public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life, capital L, Jesus. Verse 21, And when they heard this, the apostles, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent them to the prison to have them brought out. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering, what is this and what would come? Verse 25, and someone came to them and said, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. Verse 27, and when they uh, had brought them, They set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in the name, and yet here you are. You have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles said, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus Christ, and you killed him by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand. As leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So there's a big uprising going on, and there was um, an arrest that was made. Uh, The people are following after the apostles and their teaching, and they're turning away from. Judaism, uh, the priests and, and the Levites and those who work in the temple, they're losing their influence. They're losing their grip on the people. And uh, the, the Pharisees and, and 
people like that, they're not happy about it. So then this is where I want us to pay attention in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them, the apostles. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a while. And he said to them, this is Gamaliel, men of Israel, take care what you do about these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, and all who followed him, they were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. So like I said, the apostles were leading people away after Jesus, just as other people had done in the past. But when those people were killed or when they died, their movement died with them. This Jesus movement is completely different because it's still around today and it's stronger and bigger than ever. And so obviously it was of God. But I wanted you to take note of this character, Gamaliel, how he was a teacher of the law and he was held in honor by the people. And just remember the advice that he gave and the fact that after he gave it, the Bible says they took his advice. All right, now let's go to Acts chapter 22. So let's start by reading the chapter summary. We'll pray, and then we'll dive right in. Acts chapter 22 tells the story of Paul's incarceration by the Roman government. Paul gives a defense as to why he traveled with a Gentile from Ephesus, and he reminds the Jews of his strict education by the rabbi, Gamaliel, and how violently he had at first persecuted Christians. Then Paul recounts his conversion, which is narrated in Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 19. The Jewish mob that had tried to kill Paul earlier listened intently to his whole sermon until he mentioned Gentiles, which caused them to erupt in rage. The Roman tribune realizes neither Paul's speech nor the crowd's renewed anger will explain anything, and so he falls back on tradition, the traditional Roman way to uncover information, beating people until they talk. The soldiers tie Paul up before the centurion raises the uh, flagellum, and Paul points out that, as a Roman citizen, he cannot be flogged until. And so we'll get to that. I'll leave you on a bit of a cliffhanger this week. The flagellum is just a fancy word for whip or scourge. Heavenly Father, as we look into the pages of your written word, I pray that you would lead and guide us into all truth. Lord, may you give me clarity of thought tonight as I speak these words, and may we see Jesus more clearly as we study his word, the word that is the testimony of Jesus from cover to cover. Every chapter, every verse, every line, there he is. I ask it in his wonderful name. Amen.
So you'll remember Paul leaves the elders in Ephesus in chapter 20, and he takes a ship, and he ends up in, um, I always forget that, the name of that place. <laughs> he takes a ship and ends up in Miletus, and then he tells them there that he's going to Jerusalem. You'll remember from last week, they tried to talk him out of it. They said, don't go to Jerusalem. They won't accept you there. Um, but he goes to Jerusalem anyway. And when he gets there, he meets James the Apostle, the writer of the book of James, the brother of Jesus. And James has him offer a sacrifice and perform a cleansing ritual to show that, you know, Paul is still a Jew and by grace, uh, Jewish Christians are still able to practice some of the traditions and things like that that they were so used to. If you want to, uh, to, to read that later, if you weren't here or you don't remember, and just go back and read that. It's a fascinating chapter. And so chapter 21 bleeds into chapter 22. Paul is arrested because he's causing quite a ruckus there in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem at this time is occupied by the Roman Empire, um, which it was during the time of Christ, uh, you know, 30 years earlier. Uh, and so the empire has prefects and magistrates, and uh, it has this tribune as well to govern on behalf of the empire. And so there's a lot of commotion there, and uh, it gets the attention of the tribune, and they bring Paul in for causing all this commotion. The tribune thinks Paul's somebody else. He thinks he's this Egyptian rabble-rouser. And so he brings him in, and uh, he wants to get some information out of him. And so that's where we'll pick up, actually, in chapter 21, verse 37, and then we'll read through chapter 22. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And the tri tribune said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? So this was something that was common in the first century. Gamaliel refers to two people, Theodos and Judas, who started a movement, got people riled up, and then the movement died when they died. And there was this Egyptian guy that did a similar thing. Aren't you the Egyptian who stirred up 4,000 people? of the assassins out in the wilderness. Paul says, no, I'm, I'm not either of those people. I'm not who you think I am. Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. I am a citizen of no obscure city, and I beg you to permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people, the, the Jewish people of Jerusalem. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Okay, so here we see that Paul is fluent in Greek and Hebrew, the two main languages of the Bible. And so Paul is fluent in both. When Paul says that he speaks in tongues more than you all, he's talking about his human languages and likely his heavenly languages, but we know that Paul was fluent in multiple languages. 
And so here he speaks to his people, the Jews, in the language of Hebrew. And he says to them, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew, they became even more quiet. And he says to the people what he just said to the um, tribune. I am a Jew born, of Tar- born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, in Jerusalem. Look who he mentions, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. So Paul is name dropping here. He's saying, listen, I am a Jew. I know that I associate with a lot of Gentiles. I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. I spend a lot of time in their cities, but I am a Jew. I was born in a Jewish city, and I was brought up in the capital city of Israel, right here in Jerusalem, and I was educated at one of your at the feet of one of your renowned rabbis, Gamaliel. He says, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, which means Paul was a Pharisee. When it says the strict manner of the law, that's referring to the sect of the Pharisees. Uh, Being zealous for God as all of you are this day. The Jews were riled up because they were zealous for God. Uh, They were um, zealous for the law and for Moses. And this, this new way, this Jesus way, it was so new to them and so foreign to them. It was hard for them to wrap their minds around it. That's why, you know, the, the word says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Uh, some of it was their lack of faith and uh, because they were looking for another kind of Messiah that they didn't receive Jesus. Many of them didn't receive him because they were so entrenched in their, uh, their uh, traditions and in their religion that they couldn't see past it to see who Jesus really was. So in our handout, it says, notice Paul speaks to the chief in Greek, which I had already pointed out, and then he addresses the Jewish mob in uh, their native language. He gives them his background, and he makes it abundantly clear that he is a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a real um, bona fide Jew. Okay, let's read chapter, or sorry, verse 4 to 24, and we'll make comments along the way. And like I said, if you ever have any questions or something you'd like to add as we go, just raise your hand, and I'll get to you as soon as I see it. So Paul continues his address to the Jewish crowd. He says, I persecuted this way, capital W, the way of Jesus. I persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So here, Paul is not shying away from his past, and it is a difficult past. It is a, um, it's not one that I'm sure he likes to spend a whole lot of time talking about, but he's not shy to do that. He tells the people, this is who I am. This is what I did. I persecuted followers of Christ. I killed them. I delivered them to prison. And these high priests, these religious leaders, they can testify to that. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished for following Jesus. Now Paul's going to 
give his testimony here in verse 6. He says, As I was on my way, I drew near to Damascus about noon, and a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is the voice of Jesus himself speaking to Saul. And notice how Jesus um, includes himself with his people. He is a good shepherd who leads us and who is with us. Remember Jesus said, I'm going to uh, heaven, uh, but I'm going to come back for you, but I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send the paraclete to come alongside of you and to lead and guide you into all truth. And so here Jesus uh, appears to Saul and he says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, And so Jesus is identifying with his followers here to persecute one of Christ's followers is to persecute Christ himself. Verse 8, And I answered him, Who are you, Lord? Notice how Paul immediately recognized the voice as God, as Lord. And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Verse 10, and I said to him, what shall I do? Whenever you encounter the Lord, that's uh, a natural reaction to ask him, what must I do? And so he says, what must I do? And the Lord said to me, rise up, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And this harkens back to something we read last week in chapter 21. Uh, Let's see if I can find it quickly. I probably can't, but you'll you'll likely remember. Paul talked about how he was to... Oh, no, it wasn't 21. It was chapter 20. When he's talking to the elders in Ephesus. Chapter 20, verse 22. He says to them... Now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Here it is. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord. So, Paul, in speaking to the elders in Ephesus, is also recounting his conversion experience when he received a ministry from the Lord, when he was told what to do. He says, I want to finish my course, my race. Uh, A few years after Acts chapter 22, and he writes 2 Timothy, he says, my time has come. I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering, but I've run the race. So he says, I finished my course. And so uh, here Paul is saying in his conversion experience that the Lord told him what to do. Go to Damascus and you will be told all that is appointed you to do. Verse 11 of chapter 22. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into the city of Damascus. And then one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, 
well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul. It's amazing. Ananias knew right away that Saul was a brother in Christ now, that he had a conversion experience. He wasn't afraid of Saul. His reputation preceded him, I'm sure. And we know from the Acts chapter 9 account that when Saul started going around preaching, a lot of the people were like, isn't this Saul that used to persecute us? Uh, And so they were skeptical and they didn't know if they could trust Saul. But here we see that Ananias immediately calls Saul brother. And he says, receive your sight. Another gift of the Holy Spirit in operation. Um, A gift of healing, yes, but also... A, um, a declaration. Um, Paul wasn't permanently blind. He was blinded by the bright light. But um, Ananias speaks into that situation, and it happens. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him, Ananias. Verse 14, and he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. And you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise up and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Verse 17. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, And I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you away to the Gentiles. So Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. That's where he ministered almost exclusively. We know he got his start in ministry in Antioch with uh, Barnabas, who was the pastor there. But uh, he quickly branched out into missionary work and planting churches. And he did that in the Gentile nations and cities And now he's back in Jerusalem, and he's uh, preaching to the people there. So he just finished giving his testimony. And here in verse 22, we pick up the story. Up to this word, they listened to him. That being the crowd that had gathered. They listened to him, and they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Now, why did they say this? I mentioned it in the uh, introduction. As soon as he mentioned Gentiles, that was it. They didn't want to hear anymore. Uh, they, They believed that, I've heard a number of different things, The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem believed that they were the elite Christians, that they were better than the rest. And they didn't want to hear anything about this Gentile or these Gentiles coming to salvation. And so as soon as Paul brings that up, their attitude shifts. 
Remember, they were listening, and then they heard him speak in Hebrew, and they got really quiet. They were, they were paying such great attention to him. They liked hearing his testimony. And then he says, Gentiles, and that's it. They raised their voices and said away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging. So remember I said the, the tribune couldn't make any sense of it. He didn't really understand what Paul was saying. He couldn't understand why the crowd was so upset. And so he said, I'm going to figure this out. Because remember, the tribune thought that Paul was this Egyptian rabble-rouser. And he asked Paul, and Paul said, no, I'm not. But I'm not sure the tribune really believed him. And so he let Paul speak to the people, not because he had to, but because he wanted to see if he would maybe say something incriminating. And when that didn't happen, he says, all right, I'm going to get the answer from you. I am going to, um, I'm going to examine you. I'm going to question you by flogging you. I'm going to whip you. I'm going to torture you to find out why they are shouting against you like this. And uh, let's just read the little paraphrase there in our handout. So verse 4 to 24, Paul recounts his persecution of the church and his experience on the Damascus Road. Uh, he also makes it clear why he had not remained in Jerusalem but gone to the Gentiles. But now Paul can proceed no further in his sermon. The mob drowns out his voice, and the chief captain rescues him. But he's puzzled by the rage of the mob. Verse 25 to 30. But when they had... Uh, stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by him, <laughs> I love this, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? So, like, Paul gets them right where he wants them. He's brilliant. The, the tribune says, I'm going to examine you by beating you. Most of us would say, oh, I'm Roman. You can't beat me. No, Paul says, all right. They take him, they stretch him out, which means they've, they've, they've bound his hands and his feet in some way, maybe up against a wall with his back exposed so that they can flog him or maybe over some type of um, barrel or some type of um, stocks and bonds, something to hold him in place while they beat him. And so he gets stretched out there, ready to be beaten. And that's when he asks the question, uh, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard this, he said to the tribune, he, sorry, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. Now, Paul strategically kept his, this part of his identity hidden. Hey, Tosh. Which is similar to what Jesus did when he performed certain miracles and preached certain things. He'd say, okay, now don't tell anybody. The time has not come. Wait. It's not yet time for me to be revealed. And so Paul takes a similar tactic here. He addresses the, um, the Roman tribune earlier in the chapter and gets permission to speak to the people because he says, 
No, I'm good. I'm a Jew. I'm of these people, and I'm a fairly prestigious one. I was trained by Gamaliel, and, and I'm a rabbi, and I'm from a very prominent city, and things of that nature. And so he keeps that other part of his uh, identity concealed for a while, and now he reveals it. He reveals that not only is he a Jew, but he is also a Roman. Uh, and Sorry, earlier I think I said Paul was born in a Jewish city. I meant to say he was born in a Roman city, which is Tarsus in Sicilia, or Cilicia. So he was born in a Roman city, but he was raised in Jerusalem. He was a pure-blooded Jew born in a Roman city and then, and then raised in Jerusalem. And so that's why he is both a Roman and a Jew. And so he says, um, is it lawful? And the... The centurion hears this, goes to the tribune and says, what are you doing? And, and this is what's interesting about Roman Empire and the colonization and the occupation that they used to do. They would send, like Caesar would send his lackeys to these places to govern on his behalf. And so they were, um, they were his cronies. They wanted to, to rise through the ranks and uh, achieve... Uh, prestige and prominence in the empire and so they would go there and they would carry out the decrees of Caesar and and they would you know line their own pockets as well and so there was a lot of corruption going on but whenever um, whenever certain things came to light they were always very frantic and always wanted to make sure that they weren't doing something that was against Roman law they didn't mind breaking the, the Jewish laws or of any other nation or city that they occupied. But as soon as it came to Roman law, there was just no exceptions. And so that's because they were frightened to death of Caesar. And uh, the Caesar cult that was, his, um, was the religion of Rome until Constantine instituted the, the Roman Catholic Church. But I digress. Uh, here we see that they're reminding themselves, hey, it's cool that we were breaking like some of the Jewish laws and customs, but now we're kind of getting into like breaking Roman law. We should be very careful here. That's why the centurion says, what are you doing? And the tribune makes it very clear or wants a very clear answer. He says to Paul, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he says, yes. By, uh, or says, the tribune answered, I brought this citizenship, I bought this citizenship for a large sum, uh, Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. And that birth is in the city of Tarsus in Cilicia. Verse 29. So those who were about to examine him, <laughs> I love how the Bible uses that uh, sarcastically. They were going to beat him until they got the answer they wanted. Those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid. He did not want word to get back to Rome, back to Caesar, that he was going to beat this Roman citizen. Um, they had a law in Rome, and it's a good law. We have it in Canada, although it's not always upheld, which is that you are innocent until proven guilty. As a Roman citizen, uh, the Romans considered everyone else to be guilty until proven innocent, and they didn't really go looking for any evidence to prove you innocent. They were just as happy for you to be guilty so they could torture you and beat you and enjoy it. But for a Roman citizen, they were bound by Roman law and 
they were innocent until proven guilty. That's why Paul says to them, I am uncondemned. I'm not guilty of anything. You haven't charged me. You haven't um, you know, brought any evidence. And now you're going to whip me? And so this tribune was very afraid. And he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he was bound by him. I want to point out there. Yeah. I think I basically touched on all that. Oh, yeah. Well, the, the last paragraph of the handout there on the back side of the sheet. Notice that Paul had many assets which made him suitable to be the missionary to the Roman Empire. He had a worldview. He, he, he was able to see the world outside of the Jewish worldview, which is why he was able to preach salvation by grace, to faith, by grace through faith to them when so many others had such a hard time with it. Because of his Roman citizenship and being uh, you know, born in Tarsus but raised in Jerusalem, he was able to see things from a broader perspective, and so it was one of the assets that he had in being this missionary evangelist to the empire. Another one was his Greek training. Uh, it had prepared him as a cosmic Christian. He was able to understand the uh, pagan religions. For example, when he walked through Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he saw all the idols there. He knew what that was all about, and he saw the idol to the unknown God, and he preached this incredible sermon on Mars Hill uh, that was really impactful to the Athenian uh, people, and there were some converts there. Paul also had this asset. He was trained by Gamaliel in the Mosaic system, and it prepared him to interpret the scriptures in light of the coming Christ and his redemptive death and resurrection. And not the least of his assets was his Roman citizenship, which he never talked about until this point, when he absolutely had to, which finally opened the door for him to visit Rome. Uh, and Paul had a special place in his heart for the Roman people. Uh, you can tell that by his, um, his letter to them, the book of Romans. It's the longest letter that he wrote, and it is a literary masterpiece. And he preaches the gospel in a very profound way in that book. And maybe that's a book we'll do a verse-by-verse -verse study on sometime soon. But Paul was very qualified to be this missionary evangelist to the Gentiles. Uh, but beyond all that, the most important thing that he had was his conversion experience on the road to Damascus and the Holy Spirit. When he went, it says there, we read it a few moments ago in verse 14. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't think it was 14. No, it was verse 10. He said, what shall you do? And Jesus said to him, go to Damascus, and it will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And so we know from other places in Scripture that Paul says when he's told what to do, he's told by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And that's not something that's just unique to the apostles or to the Bible characters. It's available to us today too. And of course, we all know and believe that, that 
The Holy Spirit is still alive and well. He's still in the world. He's still working. He's still empowering us, giving us uh, the tools and the assets we need to be missionary evangelists in our world. Maybe our world is just our family. Maybe it's you know, a few people that live next door to us. Maybe it's people at work. Wherever it might be, Paul had certain assets that gave him an advantage, and so do you, and so do I. Then the most important and powerful one is, of course, the Holy Spirit. Um, and wherever we find ourselves to go, and whatever we find ourselves to do, whatever we have to say and whoever we have to speak to, it is the Holy Spirit who will lead us and guide us. It's the Holy Spirit who will give us what to say in that moment. Um, Paul's sermon here in Acts chapter 22, when he's giving this testimony of how he was converted, is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. And let's turn there. Matthew chapter 10 20, uh, let's go 16 to 25. And we'll, cl we'll close our study portion with the words of Jesus. And then if we have any questions or comments to make, we can do that then. So what Paul did and many of the apostles did all throughout the book of Acts is exactly what Jesus said they would do. And how they would do it. Verse 16 in Matthew chapter 10. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Sounds a lot like what we just read, doesn't it? When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. We're seeing that in our world today. Verse 22. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, go to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the health house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So the apostles in the book of Acts and the apostle Paul here in Acts chapter 22 they experienced nothing that Jesus himself did not experience. Jesus experienced that very same thing. He's acquainted with the persecutions that come our way. And he tells us to have no fear and to uh, consider it joy to suffer for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. He says, They called the master of the house Beelzebub, 
Jesus said, they actually, they actually are calling me Satan. They're calling me evil. And we know in other parts of the scripture, it says that the day will come when they will call good evil and evil good. And that happened in Jesus' day to him, where they called him Satan himself, the father of demons, Beelzebub. He said, if they say that to me, how much more are they going to malign you who are members of the household of faith? So I say all that to say, don't lose courage, friends. Keep on keeping on. We said we want to relive this book. We want to relive the miracles. We want to relive the signs and the wonders. We want to relive the incredible salvations and the Lord adding to our number daily those who are being saved. But with that also comes great trials, great persecutions. And we also have the strength to face those as well because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Amen. Amen.